freedom-loving patriots, constitutionalists, Trump co-conspirators of truth, and those clinging to their guns, Bibles, and constitutions. I'm your host, Becca Marie, along with Stella Padilla, and you are listening to Freedom Speak. Check out our website, freedomspeaknm.com, where you can click on the radio replay link and listen to playbacks of any of our previous shows, and also check out their resource page and the Becca's Monologues. You can get the podcast of this show on many podcasting platforms, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple iTunes. Want to send us your questions and comments? Email us at Becca, that's B-E-C-C-A, at freedomspeaknm.com. And now you can listen and watch us live every Friday morning on Rumble, Twitter, and Facebook. Just go to our, uh, our website and click on the Rumble link. That's my favorite one. Got some awesome guests in the studio with us today. And it's going to be an excellent show, so you don't want to miss out on any of it. So it seems these days that the way you silence someone that you don't like is by waging lawfare on them. This involves making an accusation, forcing your enemy to expend large amounts of money to defend themselves, possibly bankrupting them with legal fees, and destroying their reputation through social media and a left-leaning media. It doesn't matter if you're actually guilty of anything. Either way, you lose. These words are a quote from, and I hope I say this name correctly, Lavrenti Baria, the most ruthless and longest-serving secret police chief in Joseph Stalin's reign of terror in Russia and Eastern Europe. He would use these words when bragging about how he could prove criminal conduct on anyone, even the innocent. Baria served as deputy. Deputy Premier from 1941 until Stalin's death in 1953. Supervising the expansion of the gulags and other secret detention facilities for political prisoners. He became part of a post-Stalin, short-lived ruling Troika until he was executed for treason after Nikita Khrushchev's coup d'etat in 1953. Mariah targeted the man first, then proceeded to find or fabricate a crime. Berea's modus operandi was to presume the man guilty, then fill in the blanks later. By contrast, under the United States Constitution, there's a presumption of innocence that emanates from the 5th, 6th, and 14th Amendments, as set forth in Coffin v. U.S., from 1895. Unlike Beria's paradigm, U.S. prosecutions start with the discovery of a crime. Then there's an investigation to find or confirm the identity of the perpetrator and collect evidence to prove his or her guilt. Kind of different these days now, isn't it? Presumption of innocence was the way things worked in the United States, at least up until Dictator Joe rigged an election, perpetrated a worldwide scamdemic, and normalized the trampling of constitutionally protected liberty. This was all fueled by complacent Americans that thought that they could trust their government and failed to think for themselves. We now have political opponents being indicted, lawyers being arrested and their confidential documents being seized, newspaper offices being raided and having their confidential informants exposed, prominent conservative social media figures being accused of crimes, gun stores being raided and their 4473s being confiscated, and all while this is happening, a corrupt left-leaning state-run media ruins the reputations of the victims of this injustice and even convicts them in the court of public opinion. Not only that, but actually criminals are not prosecuted and even protected by our justice system. Victims are sometimes even arrested for trying to protect themselves, their property, or others. As we watch attorneys being arrested just for representing their client, most prominent one currently is President Trump, we must understand that this is unprecedented and unlawful. 
we must understand that the reason why so many tyrannical and insane things are happening right now in the United States is because those who reside in the shadows and pull the strings of power have an army of imbeciles to throw into the breach. There was a video the other day that I believe was filmed in California. In this video, it showed a man who was asking a policeman if he could walk around with his genitals hanging out for all to see. They responded, yes, do what you want. Then this video cuts to a scene from one month later in the same town in which five policemen were arresting a young man for talking about Jesus in a public park. For the past few years, I've been telling you all about how inaction and rolling over was going to result in worse things happening in the future. Well, it is here, and it is now. Only in an inverted, bizarro comic book world would this type of happenstance be considered normal. This malignant growth, this deadly cancer rotting our civilization, will destroy this nation, in which... Superman is now an evil, depraved, and powerful monster, and Lex Luthor is considered the good guy. That's my fan, uh, my DC Comics stuff coming through there. It's now considered okay to rob a store and deprive someone else of their right to life, liberty, and property, as long as the criminal states they needed it more than the victim they stole it from. This is the bleeding heart liberal mentality on steroids. This is something that we joked about for years, about bleeding heart liberals. Well, this is where it's led. <clears throat> and it's getting worse. In the court of public opinion, you and I have already been convicted and found guilty. Many people in this wasteland of a country now see morality as an egregious crime. The Bible speaks of a time to come when we would once again be despised and persecuted for our faith, and that morning of the day of sorrows has dawned. You're guilty because you're a man. You are guilty because of the color of your skin. You are guilty if you think for yourself. You are guilty if you disagree with the government narrative. You're guilty if you espouse any tenets of traditional morality. You're guilty unless you embrace and validate moral depravity. There's an insistence now that you shut up about goodness and immerse yourself in filth, or else you will be punished in the extreme. If you're in a conservative state like Texas, Florida, South Dakota, you may just believe that you are safe, but this growing tumor is coming for you, and more importantly, for your children. Just ask, if you could, those people being held in a D.C. gulag since January 6, 2000, about the topic of due process. And I think they would just answer saying, what exactly does that concept mean? The Destroy the Patriots Act instituted by the Bush administration has obliterated the 5th and 14th Amendments. The Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment is exactly like a similar provision in the 5th Amendment which is for the purpose of restricting the federal government. It states that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Due process refers to fair procedures. Does anything seem fair anymore to any of you? China and many other countries will never allow the, their citizens to be endowed with the rights as described by our founding fathers through the Bill of Rights. Therefore, in order for globalization to come to fruition, our Bill of Rights must be destroyed. A new world order is coming, and our rights are on their deathbed. When the despots in this nation started arresting the lawyers of Donald Trump just for representing him, I immediately knew that this country was beginning the downward spiral of its final noxious moments of life. I've been telling you that the use of insane phrases like micro-assaults by our education system and leadership as well meant that free speech was coming to an end. The use of the word assault within this phrase conditioned the feeble-minded of this nation to accept speech as violence. Here's some hate speech for you. 
Belief in this asinine concept speaks to the true stupor that burns like wildfire across the desolate landscape that is now the dominant culture of our time. Acquired insanity blows across our landscape as the debris of mindless instruction and windswept projectiles of evil men threaten our very existence. All of you who are unwilling to cede your liberty, and by my observation this number of people is retreating by the day, must stand and demand that this nonsense ends now, when the real fight does come, and it will there may not be enough of us left to resist. Stop believing the lies. Stop giving in. Hang on to your weapons of war. Stop compromising your God-given personal liberty. Get your heads out of the sand and get involved. Resistance is not futile. As a matter of fact, it is necessary if we have any hope of saving our land of the free. So, Stella, how are you today? I'm doing really great. I'm excited about our guests that we have today and all they have to say. Uh, I, that was a great monologue. It reminds me of uh, the famous words of Ronald Reagan when he said, um, the most terrifying words you can hear is, we're the government and we're here to help. <sighs> no kidding. <sighs> you better be scared. <laughs> You can also see on Stella's camera there, we got a full house today, so we kind of had to consolidate things a little bit. We got Pablo Martinez in the studio with us. Pablo, you just kind of got to reach over and talk into that mic. No problem. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good morning, everybody. Glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me on. And then we also have a last-minute guest. This is is strange. I, I believe things happen for a reason. I... Somebody I hadn't heard from in a long time called me on the phone yesterday and said, Hey, Becca, he says, I got this uh, well-known speaker. He's going to be in town doing a, a presentation tonight. And I was wondering if you could make it. I said, I would love to. I said, but unfortunately, I'm still doing my show prep for tomorrow's show. And, you know, I said, but how long is he going to be in town? And, and he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you see if before, you know, while he's in town, if he can come in and sit in with us tomorrow on the show. And so, what do you know? I got him here. <laughs> we're, we're excited to have him here. Yes, we are. So, <clears throat> William Federer is his name. He, we call him Bill. And uh, he is a uh, nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch, Inc. Now, he's been on, uh, let's see, he's been a former congressional candidate, uh, he's been on C-SPAN, Fox, Hannity, O'Reilly, The O'Reilly Factor, NPR, Newsmax, OAN, Real America's Voice, Jack Hibbs, Charlie Kirk, Dr. Gina Primetime, Bill O'Reilly, Shock and Awe, Kirk Cameron, MSNBC, CBN, TBN, ISP, INSP, TCT, National Association of Scholars. <laughs> George, take, a, take a deep breath. <laughs> I know, my gosh. Fox Nation, 700 Club. I mean, the list just goes on. Chris Salcedo. All these, you've heard of all these people. You weren't on the, you weren't on the view? I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't on the view. <laughs> so, Bill, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, and, uh, and we are so happy to have you here today. Well, Becca and Stella and Pablo, it's great to be with you. And um, so I uh, have a website, AmericanMinute.com, and I send out a free daily history email and then I do a TV show called Faith in History uh, that airs on DirecTV on uh, the TCT network. What do you not do is the question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then do a, a radio spot called the American Minute that airs on several hundred stations, the Bot Radio Network, the VCY radio network out of Milwaukee, which is the one sponsoring the uh, speaking tour that I'm on. And uh, But anyway, I'm thrilled to be with you. And um, one of the books that I put together that sort of applies is on socialism, the real history from Plato to the present. Let me show everybody the cover of this book here. Let's see. That, that's what the book looks like. There you go. And, uh, and Plato was the first one that talked about everybody owning everything in common, right, 380 B.C. And it sounds nice till you think it through. Somebody has to be in the government handing out the common stuff, and they're always going to be tempted to want to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side mm-hmm. and then hold back from someone they don't like, and it gets discretionary. And the saying is, he who holds the purse strings has the power. 
So every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends up with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends with the most corrupt guy at the top, a dictator. Well, you know, one thing I've mentioned before is in the earlier years of our country, you used to have to be a landowner in order to be allowed to vote. And I believe the mentality behind that was is that, uh, you know, you're not going to try to vote yourself free stuff. You know, you have to have skin in the game. And I... You know, I honestly look back on that, and I think maybe that was a mistake to get rid of that. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that, Bill? Yeah, well, in Europe, only one person's vote mattered, the king. And um, then Virginia was a losing proposition, so the king sends over a royal governor and says, I'm not going to pay you. You have to get those people over there to cough up the money. So the royal governor gets the landowners, the Burgess says, uh, in Virginia to come together and says, cough up the money. And so they have to get together and decide who's going to pay what. So most of the voting was who's going to pay what. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they were paying the king's salary and, or the, this governor's salary. And as the time went on, the governor's like, well, you know, if you talk about other stuff, I really don't care as long as you pay me. So it backdoored Virginia into a legislative assembly. And then they started voting on other stuff as well. And then they expanded it to business owners. Well, why? Because, again, it's who's going to pay what? Um, And the people that aren't paying anything, why would they want to be a part of voting to decide who's going to pay what? Because they can't pay anything. And uh, but then voting expanded, expanded uh, to what we have today. It is interesting. The is each step expanded. The attempts to manipulate the vote expanded. And um, and so, you know, you used to have uh, a very educated arguments being made, but now it's all media stuff. And the lower you make the age of voting, the more it just appeals to a more of a, a selfish decisions. And I mean, they recently were trying to what drop the voting age down to what sixteen or something ridiculous like that. And I know the, I know the thoughts behind this. And not only that, but I mean, what we're watching the occupation of our country currently going on at the southern border in which millions of illegal uh, immigrants are coming into our country and they're coming here so they they can get free stuff and you know like we mentioned about the you know the voting and and how i mentioned about how you used to have to be a landowner now we have a bunch of people flooding into our country with the mentality that they want free stuff and the Democrats are trying to make sure that they can vote. It's going to absolutely destroy our country as we know it. You know, the most terrifying thing is before there was women and children coming across the border, and now they're all young men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it changed with Lyndon Johnson, and he is the one who switched from intimidation to entitlement. So Republicans were the ones who freed the slaves. Lincoln, right, uh, Republican um, Ulysses S. Grant started the Department of Justice to stop the Democrat KKK in the South. Um, the Republican Teddy Roosevelt had the first black man in the White House for dinner, Booker T. Washington. Uh, Democrat Woodrow Wilson showed a KKK film in the uh, White House and segregated federal offices. Republican Eisenhower integrated the military, integrated the offices again, and um, Then Democrat George Wallace stood in front of the school in Alabama and says, segregation now, segregation forever. Um, And even uh, Robert Byrd, the longest serving senator, Democrat, said you could not advance in the Democrat Party in Alabama unless you were a member of the KKK. And Hillary Clinton said he was my mentor. And um, (laughs) And it's amazing how the Democrat Party was not outraged by that. Now, if a Republican would have said that, uh, that would have been completely unacceptable. And they would have wanted wanted to run them out of office. So Lyndon Johnson is the one who changed the tactics from intimidation to entitlement. So instead of hosing the blacks down on the South and Democrat uh, Commissioner Bull Connor in Birmingham, hosing them down on the streets and sicking dogs, uh, instead LBJ switched it to uh, entitlement. And uh, it, it uh, you know, it's called the Cloward-Piven strategy. Richard Cloward, Francis Piven, uh, Columbia University professors, 1940s you know, and 50s said, you'll never defeat the West and get them to be, accept communism with tanks. You mm-hmm. have to backdoor it in through dependency. And so you want to destabilize the economy, get people out of work, get them to sign up for welfare. Once they get free money from you, you can count on their support. And, and it works. 
Um, I mean, imagine if you were getting a $1,000 check in the mail every week from someone you didn't know. Week after week, $1,000, $1,000. After a few yeah. years of that, would you ask yourself, who, who is sending me this $1,000 check? I'm going to find out who they are and vote them out of office. <laughs> would anybody do that? No, <laughs> no I, my kid, absolutely not. My kid's not. got a couple more bills to pay. So, <laughs> so this was LBJ. He called it a great society welfare state. And, and then he also um, uh, in, intentionally wanted to um, get the people on welfare and, um, and to build the voter base. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I ran for Congress three times, uh, didn't get elected, came close um, again, Dick Gebhardt. So he was the Nancy Pelosi before Nancy Pelosi. Um, we uh, had the top three members of the U S Congress come in and campaign for me. Back then it was Dennis Hastert, Dick Army, JC Watts. Uh, the president's uncle chaired my finance committee. His name was Bucky Bush. Um, we had Chuck Norris doing commercials, Ted Nugent, Pat Boone, Art Lingletter, Zig Ziegler, Alan Keyes, Judge Orr Moore, Phyllis Schlafly, Dr. James Dobson. You know, it was a, a big splash in Missouri. Yeah, um, yeah. But I noticed some things. Um, people in the political party would spend 10 years working on redrawing a congressional district map. And then they noticed that, you know, it's a whole lot easier way. You just let crime go up in the city. And then pro-family people will move out, okay? Uh, Pro-family people, they usually tend to be a little more Republican. Uh, And then crime goes up in the city, pro-business people move out, right? Smashing windows, police being ordered to stand down, ladies don't feel safe going into their shop. So, okay, pro-business people, they usually are more conservative and Republican. Well, who's left in the city? Well, more people that are dependent on government handouts, Entitlements. Well, they tend to belong to the, the Democrat Party. And um, and so in election years, whoever wins the big city wins the state. Whoever wins the state gets all the electoral votes for the state, and the president's elected by electoral votes. Yeah. They literally have a political strategy that includes letting crime go up in the city so that pro-family, pro-business people will move out and they get a monopoly on the city politics. Well, I mean, you saw, you've been seeing what's going on in Philadelphia, I'm sure, and this happened just, I think it was maybe yesterday, in which we have these flash mobs of people, young people, crashing into stores and just walking out. And there was even one, uh, one woman that was so proud of what they were doing, she was live-streaming it on social media while they were committing the crime. As like, they obviously don't think that they are going to get punished for anything. Um, I, 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 I don't understand. I, I think a lot of this, I think it got fueled by these ridiculous uh, uh, statements by prosecutors saying, well, if you don't steal more than $1,000 worth of stuff, then you're not going to get prosecuted. I mean, how is that okay? I mean, isn't that a severe violation of somebody's right to life, liberty, and property? I mean, I've been saying that all along. Well, it's part of a political strategy. I wrote this book on socialism. So um, <clears throat> Plato says that in a democracy, the chief characteristic is tolerance. And he says, at first, it's the most charming form of government. It's like a bazaar where you can buy anything. It's like an embroidery patchwork with lots of colors. And then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. And then they tolerate people that are a lot off till finally they're tolerating lawlessness, random violence, smashing windows. And then the people cry out for somebody to restore order. And then some uh, protector comes along and promises to restore order. He just needs some emergency powers. Right. And then as he begins to consolidate the power, then people say, wait a second, you're getting too powerful. And they cast it in his teeth. And he has a choice, give up the power, which he's not inclined to do because Plato called him a lover of power or get rid of the people confronting him. Mm -hmm. So he purges his military, his police, his Department of Justice of anybody with morals and virtue. All he wants is yes men. He finally stands up in the chariot of state holding the reins of power and he's revealed as the tyrant. So democracy, without the people having morals and virtue and self-control, ends up in chaos. And out of that chaos, people beg someone to restore order. And that's when you have a flip in the form of government from a bottom-up democracy to a top-down dictatorship. So those those that want dictatorship want there to be domestic insecurity and crime. You know, I I think you're right. I think the whole thing with the—I think this is intentional. And these are all Democrat DAs that are doing this, in which they're— not prosecuting criminals. They're allowing the, and, and it's accelerating. The crime is accelerating. People are becoming more and more emboldened, emboldened and it's happening more and more. And I believe that's what they want to do, as I think they want to completely tear down and break the system so that they can come in and say, oh, we're here from the government and we're going to stop this and we've got
got a plan to do that. And, and the plan to do that, we can stop all this if you'll just give us more power. And, you know, no greater example of that is than our tiny tyrant in Santa Fe. I'm sure you've heard about her. Yes. We're actually having, we've been having one pro- protest after the other about this power grab she's been doing, trying to take away our Second Amendment right. And, and by the way, I hate, I'm not going to phrase it, our right to keep and bear arms protected by the Second Amendment. That's a better way to put it, because it's not a right given by the Second Amendment. Um, but we're having another, we're having another uh, protest this weekend, tomorrow, Saturday. If you're listening on the radio, sorry you missed it because it was Saturday morning. But we're doing a caravan up to Santa Fe, and we're having a rally up there right in front of the Capitol at the Roundhouse um, on Saturday morning. And we're not gonna we're not gonna give in. And you know, I I I told people this back when during the scandemic was going on when they were obediently wearing their mask and obediently getting their experimental uh, you know mRNA injection. And I told them, if you give in to this, this will not be the end of it. There there will be more, more to come. This is just testing you to see if you'll give in. And and they did give in. Most of the country gave in. And nothing tells you more about them getting away with crime, like when they're burning down Portland, all the businesses they burned out and the people that they killed and attacking the cops. Nothing tells you more about getting uh, criminals more rights than Kamala Harris going down there with a big bag of money and bailing them all out of jail. Yeah. You know, um, Machiavelli lived 500 years ago in Italy. Italy was a bunch of city-states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena, and they always fought. And Machiavelli thought if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates advocates the ends justifies the means. Mm -hmm. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end that any means necessary to get there is justified. Light, cheat, steal. So if a prince wants to conquer a city, and the city does not want to be conquered, they would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals to kill cows, burn barns, smash windows, Antifa, BLM, and then the people will cry out for help, and the prince will come in, get rid of the very criminals he bribed to create the mess, nobody yeah. will know the better for it, and everybody will praise him as a hero. So it's good marketing. Yeah. You create the need and fill it. You create the discord and the crime, and then you come in and say, we're going to restore order, but we got to take away your Second Amendment. we got to take away your freedom of speech, because you might say something that sets the other Because it's off, for, for public health. track you from now on. Right, so. <laughs> hey, all right, so uh, that's the end of the first segment. We will be right back in a little bit. You're listening to Freedom Speak with Becca Marie and Stella with our guest Pablo Martinez and Bill Federer. Don't go anywhere. a trailer to haul something around check out my friends at jp trailer sales they've been doing business in albuquerque for seven years whether you're hauling cars landscaping equipment dirt or your favorite off-road toys jp trailers has the perfect trailer at a great price to fit your needs they have open trailers enclosed trailers and can even do special orders you'll always receive great friendly customer service and no appointment is ever needed Stop by their location at 7605 San Pedro Drive, Northeast in Albuquerque, Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5 p.m. You can also call them at 505-469-1667 or 505-557-8164 or check them out on the web at flatbedtrailersusa.com. Did you realize that our skin is the largest organ of the body? How often do we pay attention to what it's telling us? Hi, I'm Tomei with Skin LLC, and we don't just cover up imperfections, we heal them. Our skin being the largest organ of the body tells a story. Beauty and skin alike are often overlooked because we get overwhelmed with so much daily input. You can learn your own skin and beauty story through the customized treatments we provide, personalized just for you. Let us give you the education, healing, rejuvenation, and restoration to support your journey. Call or text 505-918-4211, mention this ad for a free phone consultation, and visit our website at abqskinllc.com. That number again is 505-918-4211. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Genter from High Desert Chiropractic and Wellness. For 27 years, I've been helping patients by gently treating the root cause of their health issues, not just symptoms. Treatments include various chiropractic techniques and therapies, such as electrical stimulation, ultrasound and intersegmental traction, or the roller table. Let's help you be your best self by helping you achieve optimal wellness and maintain it lifelong. Located at 5310 Homestead Road, Northeast, call us at 505-292-2226. Would you like to advertise your business right here on Freedom Speak with Becca Marie and Stella? Get in on the ground floor with insanely low prices and become one of our preferred advertisers. Lots of fellow patriots would love to do business with you. All ads include free production of your commercial using your own voice or ours. Your ad will run on all of our live streams and podcasts on multiple platforms. Our audience is growing by the day. Send your info to Becca at freedomspeaknm.com to get started. Would you like to move on from being a keyboard warrior to owning your own media? I'm Floyd Cisco with Spoken Words in New Mexico. I can take your event to the next level by providing cameras, microphones, video switchers, and other hardware to turn your event into a professional production. See what I've done for others and what I can do for you at rumble.com slash spoken words New Mexico. To get started, send me an email at spokenwords.nm at protonmail.com. Again, that's spokenwords.nm at protonmail.com. Welcome back to Freedom Speak with Becca Marie and Stella with our guest today, Pablo Martinez and best-selling author, Bill Federer. You know, I heard something on the news this morning before I came in. I heard that uh, uh, Dianne Feinstein has passed away at the age of 90. Now, I think you guys are all aware that I was not a fan of her politics. At the same time, I think we need to pray for her family. You know, I think the thing that was extremely unfortunate about Dianne Feinstein, and I've mentioned this before, is she stayed in office for six terms. She literally stayed in in office until she was on her deathbed and died. I, I mean... The, the thing that's sad is that she didn't spend her older years with her grandchildren or children, which I'm sure that they probably loved her and wanted her around. But she was so infatuated with the power and staying in office that it seems, it seems like a lot of these politicians that their family doesn't matter to them, that being, having power and staying in office forever is more important to them. So, I, I think that's the really unfortunate thing about all of this. Um, somebody else that passed away was uh, Michael Gamden. And those of you that are Harry Potter fans uh, are going to know who he was. He played the part of Dumbledore. Anyway, so he passed away at age, I think, 82 is what I heard. Anyway, Stella, looks like you wanted to say something. I said, when do they give up? I mean, they're on their dying bed. Mitch McConnell doesn't even know where he's at half the time. He freezes up. And a lot of these are in their 80s and um, almost 90s. When does the new blood come in? You know, these people are already old and deteriorated, falling apart. Well, I, I mean, I don't... I think that the, 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 the thirst for power and to be in that position... Uh, in that power over other people, I think that overrides any sense of family or anything else. I don't know. What do you think, Bill? Well, one of the founders said, um, power is like a undying worm in the gut. Where most other sins grow weaker with age, the lust for power grows stronger. Yeah. And, uh, and then it, uh, Truman said that, that power was like gambling. That it, it gets it's into an addiction. The blood and yes, so um, uh, and, and that's the, the history of the world. So uh, one of my books is called Change to Change. I literally research every single century of recorded human history, from the beginning of the invention of writing, 
Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. Today, that's Iraq. And um, then you have quotes like from Neil deGrasse Tyson in his Cosmos TV series. He said, it was here standing in the desert between the Tigris and Euphrates around 5,000 years ago that we learned how to write. So here's a secular astrophysicist saying writing was invented around 5,000 years ago, which would have been around 3,000 or so B.C., which is when you got Egyptian hieroglyphics, Sumerian cuneiform, you know, um, Chinese characters. And, and, uh, and so you look at these written records. What do they show? Nimrod Tower of Babel, 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, kings of Assyria, kings of uh, the Elamites, the Persians, the Babylonians, uh, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, uh, the history of the world's kings. And the kings rule through fear. You do what they say or they kill you. Uh, one nation stands out, ancient Israel, around 1400 BC. They come out of Egypt where there's 2,000 years of pharaohs. They come into the promised land. And for 400 years, you have millions of people and no king. And it worked because every single citizen was taught the law, mm-hmm. and they were personally accountable to God to follow the law. So you're about to steal, nobody's around, then you think, God's watching me. He wants me to be <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. Create something in your head called the conscience. And it worked until what? Till the priest stopped teaching the law, and every man did what was right in their own eyes, and it turned into chaos with uh, concubines being raped and sodomites banging on the doors. And, uh, and then they all go to Samuel the prophet and they say this self-government system is no longer working. We need somebody to restore order. We need a king. And Samuel cries and the Lord tells him, they did not reject you, they rejected me. And so yeah. this pre-King Saul period is called the Hebrew Republic. And that's what the founders of New England, these congregational pastors looked to as the model. It was a covenant form of government that they simply turned and made their community form of government. And they had one building called the Meeting House. That's where the pastor would teach the Bible. And that's where they would teach their city government. Uh, the word synagogue means meeting house. That's where the rabbi would teach the law. That's where the Israelites would gather and do their city government. I mean, why build a separate building to talk about a different topic? And so this grew, and the word federal is Latin for covenant. We have a covenant form of government where we, the people, can rule ourselves bottom up without a king who rules through fear top down. So it's a, a fascinating development that what we have and we take for granted in America, uh, but it, it was, it's world-changing. And, uh, but in times of crises, uh, people panic in fear. So, so in my book on socialism, if democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people, what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask for it? Hi, I want to be king. Give me control of <laughs> yeah, your life. Yeah. Most people aren't in a hurry to give it up. So there's two methods, fear and free stuff. If you get people into fear, they will panic and give away their freedom. And the other is free stuff. You get them dependent. And, uh, and I was watching uh, How to Catch Pigs in the Wild. Oh, I, I actually did that as one of my opening monologues, How to Catch a Wild Pig. Yeah, yes, yeah. I love that one. You put a post in the ground, throw some corn down, and the pigs come eat the corn to ignore the mm-hmm. post. Next day, two posts. Next day, three posts. Start putting them in a little semicircle till there's a little opening, and the pigs will squeeze through, eat the corn, and then you shut the gate. Right. right. It's incremental. And, and so yeah. a fast way and a slow way. And then I go through, well, how do you um, how do you create fear so that people feel insecure so they will panic and give up their freedoms? And it's quite interesting. You have to sow discord. And um, uh, you had Germany. Napoleon conquers Europe. Uh, Six million die. The king of Prussia said, we can't get conquered that easy again. We need to strengthen our state. So he has a philosopher at the University of Berlin named Hegel, H-E-G-E-L. He influenced Darwin. And one of his students was Karl Marx. Oh, wow. What do you know? And so Karl Marx was a member of the Young Hegelians. And Hegel came up with a triangle called the dialectic. One corner is a thesis. The opposite corner is an antithesis or antithesis. Top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. So Marx said the thesis is the status quo. You create an antithesis. You create a crisis. You create discord so that people panic and fear, and then they'll surrender their freedom, and you settle for the synthesis, which is a problem that's half as bad. Then that becomes the new starting point thesis. You create another problem that's real bad to get everybody to panic and fear. They'll surrender some more of their freedoms to settle for an answer that's just half as bad. Then that becomes a new starting point. You create another problem that's real bad. Everybody panics and fears, surrender some more of their freedom for an answer that's just half as bad. And each time they settle, they're giving up a little of their individual freedom to the state. And it's a planned crisis. 
and um, and you even had Mao Zedong uh, modified it and called it a continual revolution. So you don't just do a crisis to get power, do a crisis to get power. Uh, Mao Zedong says, even after you get power, you continue to have crises. So you take the land from the rich people, then you take the land from the middle class people, then you take the land from the poor people until you take all the land. Well, you know, like one of Saul Alinsky's uh, rules for radicals is you keep up the pressure. And that's what they're doing very, very well right now is keeping up the pressure. It's one crisis after the other. And another topic I've talked about on previous shows is cognitive dissonance. What they have done is they've continued to beat people down continually for for especially over the last few years. Realistically, our freedom and liberty has been whittled away at for a lot longer than that. But they've beaten people down so much that most people are just tired they're tired of fighting. They don't have a lot of fight left in them. And they're just and that's why they just roll over and give in. It's like, oh, I don't feel like the confrontation. I don't feel like fighting. So so that's actually something called psychological warfare. And um, Clauwitz was a nineteenth century military strategist and he gave the classic definition of the purpose of war. The purpose of war is to get your enemy to submit to your will. And so you go through all this, you know, military strategy, weapons, but the goal is to get them to submit to you. Well, what if you can mess with their mind? I mean, they're loyal to the other side. What if you get them depressed and discouraged and uh, and then they'll submit to your will without a fight? So uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War, 5th century B.C., gives all this military strategy, you always have the higher ground. and But then he said supreme excellence in a commander is to get your enemy to surrender without a fight. You psych them out. You defeat them in the brain. And there's even Bible stories. You're right. Gideon uh, with his 300 surrounded 180,000 Midianites and with their torches and horns. And they um, they got defeated in their brain. And so this psychological warfare, it it took a page from marketing of products. So 1800s, you had Wells Fargo wagon, Sears catalog, and they would list everything about a singer sewing machine. 1900s, you had magazine ads, and they realized they didn't have to say anything about a product. You just make it look like everybody's using it. Like Crisco. Nobody knew what was in Crisco. (laughs) And and it's cottonseed oil, all right? It's um, industrial seed oil that they would use in factories and machinery. Nobody ate that stuff, but somebody had the idea of bleaching it, put it in these containers with an ad campaign that makes it look like everybody's happy and using it, and we've all eaten it. And it put out of business the lard industry. And, and nobody, they even made up a term, vegetable-based. Nobody knew what that was. You know what? I hate vegetable oil because I think it stinks. And I think when you cook food with it, it makes your food stink. And I remember back when I was younger how good McDonald's French fries used to be. Do you remember that? You remember how good they, they were cooking them with lard? And then they switched to vegetable oil, and they've never been the same. Yeah. And, and then there's um, – Edward Bernays is Sigmund Freud's nephew, and, Ed, and Sigmund Freud figured out that we are social creatures. We want to be accepted. We do not want to be rejected. And so he, he manipulated that. And so Edward Bernays says, oh, well, people want to be accepted, so they'll do what they other, see other people doing. And uh, the classic was women's shoes. He says women go into a department store and think they're picking out shoes. They're not. The shoes were picked out for him by the marketing executive who paid the actors to put them on, who paid the photographer to take the picture, who paid to put it in the ads. Women see it in the magazines and they want them. He says, in this way, women are controlled in their private lives by this marketing executive. He says, the, the unseen, this is the unseen mechanism that controls a democracy. We're a government from the consent of the governed, but what if you can engineer consent? So he wrote a book called The Engineering of Consent. And you're taking the, the science of marketing a product by not saying anything about it. You just make it look like everybody's using it, and you market a product. And now it's all done online. You just make it look like everybody's holding this viewpoint. And it's otherwise, oh, well, let's cancel it and si- silence it. And, um, and then you add into the mix fear. 1938 radio drama, War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. We interrupt this program to announce that New Jersey is being invaded by Martians. The entire country panics, runs outside, looks in the sky. It was a phenomenon that, that they, they've studied how you can, through fear, like electricity. And so you take the two things. You do things because you see other people doing it and the fear. And then you, Joseph Goebbels studied 
Edward Bernays. Joseph Goebbels was the Nazi minister of propaganda. And so he organized these Coliseum events with 100,000 people, and they would begin to give the Hitler salute in the front. And like a wave at a football game, it would work its way back, and you would see everybody else giving it and get closer and closer. And then you would give it, and people would see you give it, and they'd feel pressure to give it. It was a manipulating of the mass. Like, how do you get an entire nation to be brainwashed through fear and make it look like everybody's doing it? That sounds really familiar, don't it? Like during the scandemic, they did the same thing with that. They had this campaign in which it was it was I call it a brainwashing campaign but I mean like especially in this state it was really really bad I don't know if you were in New Mexico came to New Mexico during the height of the scandemic everywhere you looked you saw billboards with people wearing a mask you saw the roadside construction signs you know with the with the light up LED display things on them flashing saying wear your mask you know oh the the you know you're gonna die unless you wear your mask you're gonna kill grandma uh television commercials um it was we were we were absolutely inundated with this nonsense and when that didn't work uh, she did like a raffle sort of thing if you get your uh vaccine uh you'll get three hundred dollars automatically but we'll put you in a little raffle where there's a million dollars given away to i mean you bribe you everything they could think of well the um korean war Young guys went in loving America as soldiers. We rescue them from prison. They hate America. It's like, what happened to these guys in prison? They did something called brainwashing. It comes from the Buddhist word of cleansing the mind, you know, meditating. You It's an emotional reset. So they would take these prisoners and isolate them in a cell by themselves for days, weeks, months, until they got to this vulnerable emotional spot where they just craved wanting to get back to normal, craved wanting to have a relationship, right? A pat on the back. And when they're in this vulnerable spot, they'd bring them into a room with guys who had already caved. And before they could be accepted in the group and get that buddy part of the team, they had to reject America. And say, yeah, okay, America's bad, America's horrible, yeah, America's doing terrible stuff, and now, you know, and uh, and it cemented it in their emotions. So even if they, they were rescued, they still hated America. And so this was studied in the 1960s and 70s. It was called the Solomon Ash Conformity Experiment. They did it on college campuses. They would pull eight students into a classroom. Seven had been paid ahead of time to be actors. One was a naive participant. The teacher would put two cards on the front desk. One card simply had one line on it. The other card had three lines, one longer, one shorter, one the same. And starting with the paid actors, one by one, they would convincingly say that the shorter line was equal to the first line. By the time it got around to the eighth naive participant, 30% of them would deny their own eyes to fit in with the group. They're looking at the lines. They are not equal, but they would doubt their perception. They would say, well, they must know something I don't. And so this, this study, now, if, it, if only one of the other persons disagreed, it went from 30% down to 5%. But this, this pressure to want to fit in is, is powerful. Um, and then you had um, Chuck Colson talked about a wine tasting experiment they did. Everybody was in on it except one couple. They poured vinegar in the wine. This couple writes on their little card, this tastes terrible. But one by one, the other couples would say, this was robust. It had character. It was great. When it got around to this naive couple, they scratched out and they wrote, it was good. <laughs> and then when somebody said, you know what? I think that they poured vinegar in the wine. The couple that had changed their views criticized the person for saying they poured vinegar in. And it's a phenomenon called false enforcement. Once people buy into the lie, they will help enforce that other people buy into the lie, right? Their private views were against it, but then once they publicly gave in, they helped enforce it. And, um, and so the spiral of silence is where, where people will, will self-censor their own views because they think they're in the minority and they want to fit in with the majority so bad. So a water molecule is individual, but you put it with other water molecules and it operates as a group, like a wave or a cloud. A fish in a bowl, but you put it with other fish, it operates as a group. Uh, A bird in a cage, but you put it with other birds, they operate in a group. Well, guess what? We're individuals, but you put us with other individuals, we operate in a group. We're constantly giving and receiving feedback. Are Are we being accepted or rejected? And they've weaponized that in the classroom. And the teacher sets what's now acceptable. And if little Johnny believes it's normal to have a mommy and a daddy, the teacher isolates him. Saul Linsky said ridicule is the most powerful weapon, 
right? You weaponize this desire for acceptance, and in front of everybody, you make a fool out of You're a terrible kid. You're a horrible kid. You think that it's normal to have a mommy and a daddy? How insensitive? How bad? And then the teacher stops and says, does anybody else believe what little Johnny does? And everybody's like, uh, I don't want to get yelled at, uh, right? I mean, they did it to Sarah Palin, right? They picked her. Solinsky says, you don't attack a movement. You you take somebody that isolate that that embodies that movement, and you isolate them, you freeze them, you attack them, you destroy them, and people will feel so embarrassed for that person they'll back away from them and everything they stand for. That's what they've tried to do with Trump, and, and God bless him, he keeps coming back, and um, because he's got uh, backbone and courage, and and um, but most people would cave. They would crush. Oh, uh, oh they totally that. would. You know, and I've, I've been thinking about this. I, I was listening to somebody else the other day talking about how, oh, well, Trump's not going to be the nominee. Uh, Biden's, I, I believe Biden's probably not going to be the nominee. I, I don't, I'm not certain he's going to survive his term, uh, but he's he's got so much... Uh, opposition within his own party. I don't really see how he can. Somehow they got to get rid of Biden. But Trump, I completely disagree. There, Trump is a patriot. He's in it because he he believes that America's in some serious trouble, and I completely agree with him. They may very well completely bankrupt President Trump and put him in jail. I I with this corrupt system we currently have in place in which there is so much corruption that they've taken over every element of our government, they may very well put him in jail. Now, there are, you know, we've already got the woman that claimed he raped her in which there is no proof that he raped her. And then he, he, you know, they, they siphon money off from him on that. And then they're, they're suing him again now because he called her a liar. What, you can't call somebody a liar? You, that's freedom of speech. I can call anybody a liar I want. You know, but no, not Trump. He can't call somebody a liar. Now they're suing him again. And they're taking more money from him. We saw what happened to Alex Jones. I'm sure you saw that. They completely drained his bank account. So, and when they discovered they thought he had more money in an offshore account, they went after that too. You know, I, um, the, the gentleman that you had mentioned, the Berea, Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Right. So he was part of the, the Great Purge. And it's interesting. So in 1934, Stalin was the head of the USSR, and there was a growing anti-Stalinist movement. And at the same time, Stalin had a supporter, Sergei Kirov, the party boss of Leningrad, who was praising Stalin. And he was so popular, they even built a statue to Sergei Kirov. So Stalin had an idea. He would assassinate his friend, Sergei Kirov, and eliminate a potential rival and blame the assassination on the anti-Stalinists. Nobody would suspect that he did it because he and Sergei were friends. Everybody would believe the anti-Stalinists did it because they they didn't like Stalin and they didn't like Sergei supporting Stalin. Stalin used that as an excuse to have set up hearings, to do investigations, to um, uh, detain people, to arrest people. And to kill over a million people in the first great purge of 1936 to 38. And so this idea is if you are a, a dictator in power um, and there's a growing movement against you, you blame them for a problem. You, you stage an insurrection uh, to blame against your political opponent. Uh, so in Germany, 1920s, there was the Weimar Republic and there was a party called the National Socialist Workers' Party, or Nazi. And uh, the head of it was Hitler. And they had an under-the-table arm to it, uh, sort of a BLM Antifa group. They were called Brown Shirts. They were nicknamed Sturmabteilung, which means stormtroopers, because they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's opponents and disrupt the meeting. And then they would uh, lock arms and block access to public buildings. Could you imagine people doing that? And they would block streets. And uh, then they would went into the city, and the night of broken glass, Crystal Knox. Right, yeah. They I've talked about that one. 7,500 windows and stores and set them on fire owned by Jews. And then, oh, did I mention they had an insurrection at the Capitol? And it got set on fire, the burning of the Reichstag. And evidence points to Hitler's own people setting the fire. But Hitler, in the confusion, decided to do some investigations, to have some hearings, to round up all his political opponents. And as I'm shot without a trial, and when the dust settled, Hitler didn't have any political opponents left. Does that sound familiar or what? 
And and when you look at January 6th, and now it's coming out that all of these FBI informants were part of the crowd, and the Ray Epps, and he's on the video saying, we got to break into the Capitol. And then he's texting, I'm orchestrating the whole thing. And then there's videos of him moving the barricades aside and putting, and then there's people that testify they, they saw Antifa people that had been at Antifa rallies, going into the bushes, putting on Trump t-shirts and coming out, and staging this riot. And, um, and it has all the earmarks of one of these uh, events that was staged to blame the political opponents of, of Stalin, so to speak, so that they can get rid of him and set up a dictatorship. You know, I think, Bill, that I think that uh, I think the and I'm, you know, I'm not even certain that it's necessarily just the Democrats. I often were, you know, we often use the word the term they as referring to whoever it is that's pulling the strings on all this stuff. I'm not really certain who they are. I, I, I really don't know. I think that there is an overall goal to tear down our country and to tear down our representative republic. And the whole thing that happened on January 6th is I think they saw that there was going to be a big turnout for Trump and his speech, and they said, hmm, how can we take this situation and work it to our benefit. And then they figured out this thing, oh, well, kind of like what you're talking about, where you can motivate a crowd. It's like, let's get stir the pot. Let's get some, some violence going. Let's insert some of our people to get the ball rolling on this stuff and generate, uh, a, you know, this enthusiasm. And, you know, even a lot of these people simply thought that the Capitol was open, and they you see the videos that are out yeah. there. They they look like a tour group. It's like oh, we're walking in there, maybe holding a flag or whatever, but they're peaceful. They're even staying within within the ropes and walking in. And yet, from what I understand, almost all these people they were they were tracked down using geodata from their phones, which, by the way, I thought geodata didn't work because they didn't want to accept that evidence for the Mules. for the ballot stuffing. Yeah. But but it certainly worked really well that day, now, now didn't it? No, uh, Cold War. Um, World War II ends. You have new com- countries coming into existence, and they were republics, and the Soviet Union didn't like that. And so they send in KGB agents to do critical theory, which is dividing the country into groups ethnically bosnians croats serbs economically um the uh, proletariat the bourgeois uh religiously sunni shia orthodox it doesn't matter you would break uh, categorize the country into groups and then pit them against each other you would call some victims others oppressors haves and have nots and then you would co-opt the media to blame the new leader of the new republic for all of the discord and the public opinion would turn against him, and then you would do a coup or a rigged election and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. Mm. And this went on country after country. And finally, uh, Alan Dulles with the CIA did the same thing, so the Operation Ma- um, uh, uh, Ajax uh, 1953, when the leader of Iran, Mazadek, decided to side with the Soviet Union. He sends over uh, Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt, and he does this organizing in reverse. He gets mobsters and gangsters and radical imams, and they stage protests and riots and set things on fire, and they co-opt the media to blame Mazadek for all the problems. The country's <laughs> of public opinion turns against him. They put him under house arrest, lock him away, replace him with the Shah, and the CIA and the KGB have been doing this over and over and over again. The only difference this time around is we've seen these tactics used on our own soil. Correct. Is that history repeating itself over and over and over again, or what? Yeah. God. <sighs> wow. Okay, so we're coming up on another break. You're going to be with us through the next segment, correct? Um, I have to check with my okay. ride. <laughs> He's got to get to, to uh, Phoenix, Phoenix for, an, for another engagement today. So we're going to keep him here as long as we can. You know, one of our viewers, actually my mom, she said, that's like Democrats saying the border is closed. And, and, and the... The mainstream left-wing media, they repeat this over and over and over again. And people that only watch that kind of news and they get all of their news from those sources, they believe that there's no problem at the border. But tell the people down on the border that, especially in Texas. Uh, by the way, um, I, they said I got to run. But my website's AmericanMinute.com. Okay. And the book I've been talking about is called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Go ahead and get real close to the mic there and tell everybody about that real quick. So the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. 
Okay. American Thank you, Bill. AmericanMinute.com. Thank you. Is there a way people can contact you if they've got questions for you? Yes, yes. AmericanMinute.com. Okay, that's it. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, he's got to leave, but uh, i got Pablo Martinez and Stella in the studio with me for the rest of the show. You're listening to Freedom Speak with Becca Marie and Stella. Don't go anywhere. Oh, 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 oh